Hello and welcome to the Game Pit. I'm Sean and this is episode 192 and here's Ronan. Full CBBs this morning, are we? <laughs> this is what we're doing. <laughs> Full CBBs. Hello everyone, welcome to the Game I am lifting the mood after your 40 minutes of fighting your computer. My computer is very close to going in the pond outside the window at this stage. Two sets of headphones, sound driver updates. What is the one that everything worked? Everything worked and now suddenly nothing works. Why? You know what? I actually made a little Irish ditty when you couldn't hear me. I was singing an Irish ditty about you throwing your computer in the pond. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and talk about it, sing it. <laughs> oh, there was a little fella called Ronan. He threw his computer in the pond. <laughs> was that it? I was, I was, it was a bit more, but it was rude, so we can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the form on you seems grand after Christmas. Uh, sure, why, why not? We've been playing some, <laughs> some, some good games, some, some okay games, but we're going to have a little bit of a change of pace aren't we today Ronan uh, I, I don't know my pace is very deadened at the minute so that's a change <laughs> we're gonna have a little switch around in format anyway uh it is post Christmas and the tradition is that we do a top 10 from 10 years ago as our first episode of the new year however we've been counting down our top 100 and there is a huge quality issue with the top 10 of 2013 Sean absolutely terrible games they're awful Sure, we couldn't find any. That's not true. You've been in the That's idiot. not true. They're all in the top 100. <laughs> all of them. It was an amazing year. I think I've got 11 games from 2013 in my top 100. Easily the most represented year. I don't know. Like, I was, I'm like, was it because I was so excited? New? I was like five or six years into playing games by then. I wasn't that excited anymore. But I just think it was an amazing year. So it's very repetitive. It's a lot of games that we know we've mentioned in the last year already. So instead of doing a whole episode on that top 10, we're going to do it at the end. And at the beginning, we're going to go through... Oh, we're just going to mention loads of stuff that we've been playing and stuff with stuff we played together because we've seen each other at Christmas, stuff we haven't and whatever. Uh, you're just going to get a bunch of rambling. And then we'll do a top 10. And that's the way Yeah, it's yeah. It's not, not specifically a picking over the bones, but we will be talking about the games we've played. And we probably haven't played these as much as we'd like to for reviews. So why not have a chat about them? Take that back. I've played all of mine as much as I need to for a review. So back oh, up, have you son. Oh, so up yeah, because I got into a couple of these. Right. Before we start talking about the actual sort of, we're going to do like eight games we're going to talk about semi-properly. Anything else? Any other business you've got for me over Christmas? Do you play any old favourites, any traditions? How, how did it go? Well, I had a lot arriving, Ronan. I've had my massive mosaic box finally arrive. My... I mean, I'm just, no, is, was that a waste of space? Not a waste of space. <laughs> is there a I like it. Head? I like you it. You like everything deluxe, you idiot. I've just got classier taste than you. What can I say? Perfectly fine in the retail <laughs> which I would say was classier, gaudy boy. Uh, my all-in pledge for Skyrim arrived, so I'm looking forward to playing that with Jamesy. Interesting. There are very varied initial reports on that game what i'm hearing from the general sort of feedback so far is it's a lot lighter than people thought it was going to be which 
I quite like because I want to play this with James because me and James like a bit of Skyrim. And I think a lot of people were expecting a more sort of deep and tactical game. And what it is really is a storytelling game where you're just going around Skyrim doing quests. So that fits into what I need it to be, but I can understand why other people have got reservations. I think there's also reservations about it feels like a wander around game, but you can actually lose and it can be punishing. And that's kind of, and again, I'm not Skyrim's biggest fan and this is all secondhand, but whether that is in the field of Skyrim, whereby you very rarely actually fail at anything. You're just doing lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely a timer, because if you don't get things done in a certain time frame, then uh, these loads of tokens keep building up. And if enough of them build up, you, you fail the game. So there is a definite sort of whip cracking, uh, which, which again, I suppose, it makes it neither fish nor fowl. So you've got this really narrative experience, possibly, but you've also got that whip cracking behind you saying you have to do these things in a certain amount of time. So I suppose the people who want to uh, have a little wonder, like I do in, in Skyrim, they're going to be upset. And the people who want that whip cracking and the more tactical experience aren't going to be too happy with the, the random wandering. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll come back to it. Definitely one for a review later, Ronan. Definitely. It's, it has certainly suited some people. It's not all negatives by any means I've heard about it. Some people absolutely adoring it and others, like you say, maybe caught between two stools. I expect all you right. to actually do shouts when you're doing shouts in the game, by the way. Okay. <laughs> right. Roaring at the miniatures. <laughs> Eddie's got a really good video of a lady who plays Skyrim in 3D and then actually does like like dance moves to do her shouts. It is absolutely brilliant. I'll get her to send it right. to you. Really I think I need to see that. <laughs> it's really, really good. <laughs> what else is coming? What else is coming? What else is coming, Ronan? I'm still waiting for my Frostpunk, which you've had. It's not going to get to the table for weeks anyway. So I don't care when it starts coming. Everything's so bad. <laughs> yeah, I have got Frostpunk. I looked at the Cube Tower, and you're going to be so happy with that. I have seen pictures. Um, About like, half of that big box is just the Cube Tower. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every now and then, why not? Sure, but yeah... I. I've got high hopes for that. Adam Kropinski, you know, we were talking about him a bit recently, and people, the way people are talking about it, it maybe hasn't been what some people were looking for, but it sounds like something that I'm looking for, that struggle and the co-op and the challenge. Yeah, he certainly has um, form for re-implementing sort of board games from computer games, doesn't he? And I do really like the, the, board, the computer game. Um, myself and Nat played it. It's another one of those. It can be a bit depressing. Is there's moments when you are asked if you wish to wish to put children to work and people die all the time. So, well, hold on, hold on. What's depressing about putting children to work? <laughs> what well, down the mind? It's a time to, man. Come on. <laughs> My dad had to work in a quarry at fourteen or whatever it was. And I'm trying to think what else I got. Oh, I got um, one of the games that we are talking about today, Resurgence, which we'll talk about later. I uh, got that in the maths trade. And I got that genotype in a math trade. Literally just arrived this morning. So there's there's a bit of excitement for me. There's a couple of games I've never heard of before. Very good. <laughs> um, I did very well, I have to say, at Christmas. Not in any small part to you to having a wonderful cousin who got me far too many games. Thank you. Including Pilgrim. You're welcome. <laughs> Which was a moment of 
just sheer magic. That was jaw dropping. <laughs> what? How did you get that? Oh my goodness! <laughs> well done, you, and thank you. Was it Michael? I believe it was Michael. I really should give him a shout out. I will look up his name and give him a shout out. You for... look that up. I'll talk about some of the games I got for Christmas. <laughs> you uh, do that. <laughs> sure, I got me Pilgrim. Also got me Vagrant Song, which I'm looking forward to diving into. Uh, in the BGG Secret Santa, I got a game we're going to talk about later: Endless Winter, Paleo Americans, and Crikey, I'm trying to think. What else I, got. I got the Snipers Elite expansion, Eagles Nest. I got really spoiled. So I found it. It's, it was actually David. So whoever Michael was, thank you to Michael as well. But uh, it was it was Dave Dave, Dave Hitch who is Campan Dave on Board Game Geek, and he had two copies for sale on board game geek so and i snaffled them both you're a sweet so thank you dave thank you david michael much appreciated well done for making like a clown by telling me his name was michael uh in terms of stuff played sean we had a traditional family game of uh articulate on boxing day and uh ellie ellie was on my team and she was getting a bit frustrated about the way we we're playing it and it didn't seem very fair how you move around the board and i was like look look right they're sure this is the rules all right, and she was like, she had a couple of drinks and she's getting a bit fired. So I'm like, relax. It's a game of articulate at like 10 in the evening on Boxing Day. Just relax yourself. <laughs> and then the next night I was out with some friends and I, we all used to play articulate together. And I was like, how do you play articulate, Kelly? And she was like, you play it like this. And then Celestine's like, no, no, you don't play it like that. You play it like this. And then Michelle was like, no, no, that's not how you play. You play it like this. And then like Ryan's there. He's like, that's not how we play. We play it like this. And I was like, yeah, this is what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> we played a version of articulate. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny but who's, whose version was it it was we played a version where like you go through the card you know there's different colours you go through the card yeah. the same card and whatever colour you end up on your last correct guess that's the one you move to oh. so you could get six out of six and just move one space right <laughs> yeah Ellie was doing her pieces anyway that was articulate uh, I, the other thing we played with Ellie while she was back from uni was her first games of Arkham Horror LCG which she hated, I heard. She despised. Oh, mate. Uh, mate, we did it with the starter, little three-thing campaign, and there's the pre-built decks. That you can get there's five of them. I think Puria gave them to me. He bought too many, as usual. He's a lovely man. <laughs> Thank you, Puria. We used them uh, just to get in quick and play it. Man, she was like, we're playing it again tomorrow. We're playing it again tomorrow. I'm like, it's, it's pretty late. I've got to get up for an early turn. We're playing it, Dad. You promised me. I'm like, okay. So I've got an Arkham Horror, another one created for... Christmas I in her stocking she got Fantasy Realms, which you introduced to us. Yes, yes, very good. Love me a bit of Fantasy Realms. We got the deluxe version. I believe she got the deluxe version, is that right? She did indeed with the sleeves and all that oh, excitement. So. Uh, I've been playing a bit of Marvel Champions. As you as you tend to do. So how's that going? Have we found any good decks? It's marvellous. Over a hundred games now. I've been playing a She Hulk Justice deck with a Valkyrie defence deck. So She-Hulk flips all the time, and Valkyrie don't, never flips. And it's like, I'm trying to go a bit, you know, a bit different on this one. It's working quite well. I'm quite happy with it. I'm taking it through some campaigns, and I'm, I'm pretty... I just feel smart for putting that two together, because they work quite nicely. <laughs> Not as good as my awesome Thor Aggression Quicksilver Justice combo. Man, those two. Boom. A bit of Jackal versus Hyde on BGA. We're still calling it Jackal, are we? Oh, what? <laughs> what do you want me to say? No, you, you play Jackal versus I. That's fine. That's fine. Bless you. 
Are you still there? That was my contempt. Ah, oh, that's fine. I am still man, here. Man. Now, you, you live in that. You swim in that pool. <laughs> you know what contempt. I did play? Just to jump in on your Go list. On. I played the 12 Dice of Christmas, which I just bought as a silly little comedy present for Nat. And it wasn't horrible. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't great. You wouldn't want to pay him any more than a couple of quid for it, but it wasn't horrible. We actually got a bit of enjoyment out of it, so that was a success. You email all those comments to the uh, publisher because they like to put a good comment on a on a page or on a Kickstarter page. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't horrible. Wasn't horrible. Sean, the game pit. Literally okay. a bag of dice. Sweet. Cool. Anything else over Christmas? Uh, we tried to play the... Is it the Matago range the, the, from... Uh, oh, gosh. Words escape me. Just One, So Clover, and what was the other? Rankster, was it? It's Repos. Re- oh, Repos. Sorry. Sorry, yes. Yeah, Just One. You got so, all of the details wrong of everything. I did. There. I did. I, I did, did horribly there because it just sprung to mind. And, I, and it's not Rankster. It's... Uh, no, that's the other... Yeah, you do me in. That's the Ricky Tahita. We played it loads over Christmas as well. It's like we were always cutting it out. <laughs> right, you carry on. I'm going to look that up. Oh, okay. So we played those, and I think what we came down to discovering or realizing that So Clover was still by far our favourite out of the three. Just one is is fine. It's it's quite clever. The three of us, we didn't really it didn't really sit well with us. The one that Ronan's looking up. It's a four-player minimum, so we kind of had to do our own little house rules. So we're yet to see that in its full splendor. But that that one is a conversation starter amongst a big group of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's not really a game, but I didn't particularly Fun like it. Fun facts is what we're talking Fun about. Fun facts is the one. I didn't particularly like it. That was meh. James loved it. He just loved finding out about our opinions on things and where where we sat on, on things. And what we did is um, we used my mum as a sort of ghost. Oh, ghost, she's dead. <laughs> ghost, <laughs> ghost fourth player. That took a turn. That did take a turn. You're going to talk about my aunt's ghost appearing. <laughs> <laughs> we... Um, we both all took turns and basically, oh, what would what would my mum think in in this? And we put her where we thought we she would sit. And then we used other. We still, we're going to use other family members as well. Some of them still living. And <laughs> and um, yeah, that one didn't really didn't didn't click with me and and that. But James loved it. And so so Clover, just such a great game. We all love it. We all sit there and laugh. We give each other abuse and. That's what Christmas is about, abusing people around the table. He's in the Rice family. <laughs> um, I will say that fun facts works with anyone. So people that even would be, you teach them so clover, they're a bit like, what is it? What they're just not, haven't, yeah, they don't like games as much. Fun, fun facts is not, it's not a game, it's just a conversation piece. Yeah. And it is really funny and it does start, but it doesn't have the magic of those other so clover for sure. But it works indefinitely in different situations. And if you said to me, we're going to play it, three of us, Ooh. I'd be like, it's not going to work, mate. Especially like when it's just very close family, I don't think it works that well either because you know each other so well. You also have to be careful what cards you pick for if you are going to play with someone James's age. Oh, yeah. Um, because yeah. like something he's got no experience, like how much do you have in your bank account? Oh! <laughs> like he has no idea. <laughs> he has no grasp on that at all. 
Like, when was the last time you bought a stamp? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think it's the same for any group that you curate it because we're playing with like in laws and stuff like that. And Ooh. so the ones like, how many romantic partners have you had? Nope. Nope. <laughs> and some of them are just boring. How many keys are on your keychain? That's boring. That's the, we'll start a conversation. So you get into the ones that are a bit more interesting, I think. Yeah, for sure. Important. For sure. I'm going to jump in here with something that I haven't played, but I've picked through the box. But I meant to get it played to mention it before the Kickstarter launches, and I haven't managed to do it. So I'm going to mention it now, and hopefully in the next episode, I'll have played a bit of it, and I'll start talk, stop talking about it. Once upon a line, Sean. Yeah, lucky, lucky duck. duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You showed me this. It's um, interesting, shall we say? Cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's called Once Upon a Line, which is the name, and then the version that's getting kickstarted on January seventeenth is the Butterfly's Breath. And I think they have an idea of having different stories being released under that sort of title. That's, that's I don't know that. I think so. And Lucky Duck are super clever, right? They are really communicative. They're really friendly to people who create podcasts and stuff like that and they put together bespoke smaller versions of games that are going to launch and if you're lucky enough to be sort of in with them it's just that i met them at a games expo uk games expo when they were really small and chatted about jetpack joyride and from that they've always kept in contact which is really nice of them yeah, yeah. anyway they've sent it that this it's the prologue and the first chapter or something of this five chapter no i don't think it's the, i think it's the tutorial and prologue and there's five chapters on top of it anyway the important really why i wanted to mention it was the game is nuts it's set in a world where there's been a, a apocalypse. I think it's a pandemic, and, and the human population has dropped a lot. It's not really dystopian though, but it's giant insects have taken over the world. So we'll start there, right? And you're going on a story. <laughs> you're, this is about how many people are playing. You have a set number of heroes who have actions each turn and powers they can unlock. You can like, reveal new heroes as you go through the story, and then you pick which ones to use for each adventure. Right? Each adventure is set for two, three, whatever. Because it doesn't matter how many players you have, you're deciding between you which hero goes when and what they do. But what they're doing is scratching off squares on a scratchy-offy-like <laughs> board, which all has letters underneath it, and you're attempting to scratch off the correct squares in order to reveal words. And when you reveal words, you get to take the story card that's linked to that word and read it, and then that will give you more clues about where to scratch and which words you're looking for and there's like a mechanism where you can only scratch off words of certain colours to unlock them, and you've got to move in order to scratch off other colour words once you once you reveal them under the scratch, and that is linked to a time-ticking mechanism whereby you've got to get through this story in a certain amount of time or bad things happen to you. During the course of this, as you're unlocking these words, so if it says cottage, you can go to the cottage. If it says attic, you can go to the attic in the cottage. But there'll be a story thing suggesting whether you want to go to the attic or not. And you'll decide, should we go there? Should we look for that? But you don't know where the word attic is. But there are suggestions of it, it would be perpendicular to the word cottage or it would suggest it crosses across and you see, well, there's only two letters these words share. So it must go through here, it must go through there. And your actual actions are to choose how many squares you're going to scratch off. And you've got set templates you can use. But then there's more to it than that. And then there's riddles that come up. that They have their own separate scratches, which isn't the main scratchy board. And you can get unscratch of hints. And when you get the riddle, the quicker you get it, the fewer bad things happen to you. And in getting a riddle or certain words, you can use them to 
scratch off other words, which unlock powers, which give the heroes powers to make them better at scratching. And it's this whole thing that all makes sense. We're all right, you're leveling up your heroes. They're, they're becoming better. You're unlocking the story. And it's all through the medium of this very narrative-driven game of scratching words off from cards. So, uh, if that doesn't like that, you're either interested in that or you're not. It's the lottery card of games. It's like the lottery cards. Many of them. <laughs> Were they the ones that you used to go and they wanted a beer exchange? No, no, that was I think that was horrible guild. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. I was. Um, I was wondering what you put in the beer because this sounds absolutely. <laughs> this sounds nuts, but. You've got to look at Lucky Duck's track record. They do tend to pull things off. So if anyone is going to come up with, with a good game out of this, it's them. And it definitely sounds interesting. And a lot of people are just going to be going on the pledge manager, just uh, getting the game, just to see what it's like. Because it sounds crazily interesting. How many people do you think have got pre-likes on the Facebook page? We're like 10 days away from launch. Oh, gosh. I, I have no scale to go against because I don't really look at things like that. I'll say 1,000. Well, like, if you get 1,000 backers, if you get 1,000 backers, right. it's it, 800. It's Kickstarter. It's reasonable. 4,500. Wow. Okay. There you go. Um, this is going to be a Kickstarter hit already just from that. I'm like, okay. I wasn't sure if it would be too weird for people. So I can't tell you whether it's any good or not yet, but hopefully next episode in the middle of the campaign, I will be able to give you more of an idea. But I can tell you that those are the ideas, and cool. like I say, that either makes you want to go and look or it doesn't. <laughs> it's called Once Upon a Line, Kickstarter, January the 17th. Any other little bits and bobs before we start talking about games we've played a few times? Sure. Uh, I suppose no, the only ones, other ones are uh, kids' games. I did buy Thomas a Dry Magie uh, game, and it kind of let, it let down a little bit. It was, it was a a vampire-themed game that I'm not even going to try and remember the name because it was in German, but it was about like scooping little cloves of garlic to wake up various vampires, and you have these little... If, if anyone remembers the way uh, Cinder, Spinderella was set up with the, the little walls and you moved the spiders around and they kind of dangled down, these little scoops go through the the roof of the game a little bit like lock and key as well, and you're scooping the the garlic around, but there's really nothing to it. Tommy liked it for about ten minutes, and uh, the rest of us were like, "God, let's never see that again." But there you go. Right, that was uh, <laughs> cool. Sure, that happened. That happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to. You keep talking for a minute while I try and look up and see if I can help you with the name of this game. <laughs> what else did we play with Tommy over Christmas? We played Where Is Wanda, which is a, a game from Habba that he really enjoys. It's a, literally a Where's Wally or a Where's Waldo type affair where you actually construct a house and all around the house are little pictures of things and the little monsters want to find things and you've got to find it for them and you've got to go as quick as you can and there's little clues as to where they might be and it's it's just a good age-appropriate game where he gets to find things and the shout that he's found them before mummy and daddy so that that one worked quite well and what else are we playing? We are playing Dino World, which is a little another Haber game where you're throwing dinosaurs onto a table 
and there's a hierarchy of who eats who, as as there was in the in, back in the Jurassic Age, it's, and we were throwing the dinosaurs down, and obviously the bigger ones, if they land on the smaller ones, they eat them, and you get points for those, and Tommy is absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs. As my living room will, will, uh, will prove, because I've got five super colossal dinosaurs in my living room, uh, each of them around about three feet in length, with a brachio is you four are actually, feet. You're living the dream. I'm living the dream. Actually living the dream. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I haven't fallen over those at all over Christmas. So that's the main thing. Have you worked out what it is? Well, I'm I'm embarrassed for you. I'm almost sad to say this. Is it about a vampire in a house? Mm, possibly. De Villa de Vampire. There you go. <laughs> the, the Villa of the Vampires. There we go. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Wow, your German really is good. How did you work that out? I <laughs> assumed it was going to be difficult and didn't bother looking at it. <laughs> I'm going to move on to save you from any further linguistic embarrassment. Right, Sean, you're a sweetheart. Yes, because I lent you your next game. You did. Miss over Carcassonne which we talked about pretty sure in a treasure hunt. You certainly had a good sniff at it in Essen, didn't you? I did. If they hadn't shouted at me at the booth <laughs> for being in the wrong queue, I'd have bought it. But they, Every single Essen, you managed to have a row with somebody or somebody upset. I joined AQ, <laughs> queued in it for 10 minutes, got to the front and got shouted at for being in the wrong queue. I'm like, why didn't you tell me 10 minutes ago? I just joined the back of this queue to your stand. No, that queue. I just thought that queue was for a different deal. No, no, it's not. Go like, whoa, whoa, all right. But were you wrong? Oh, well, I was wrong. Yeah, I, I joined the wrong queue. <laughs> I, there was no indication what queue you're supposed to join. It's magic. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. They didn't get a penny of my money. I borrowed it from you. Who's laughing now? They are, because I'm going to buy it, because I really love it. There's the review. Go on, then. Tell us about it. So, it's Miss Over Carcassonne. There are tiles in there which can be added as modules to normal Carcassonne, but the whole crack of this one it is a cooperative version in which you're putting tiles down and the game's trying to kill you and you're trying to beat the game together. And what it adds is there are miss as more or less half the fields are now miss and they have ghosts in them. And when you put them down, you have to add ghosts to the board. It's a limited pool of ghosts. If that pool ever runs out, then you've lost the game. And there are six levels as you go through and learn the games, you learn it very basically. These ghosts come out and you've got to manage it a bit. And when you score points, you've got to get to the target before you run out of ghosts. Great. It then adds things after that. The bits that will go into a module for normal game of Carcassonne are castles and graveyards. I don't know what they're doing on Carcassonne in this. Castles are like monasteries, but you want to surround them with the mists, with the ghosts in. So they create perilous areas because generally separating off the mists helps because when you close off completely a bank and create a field, if you like, in old Carcassonne money, all the ghosts in there disappear. But you want to surround these castles, so you're creating peril for yourself but to score points. The graveyards are even worse. They're actually the bad ones, because every graveyard in play, whenever you add any ghost to the board anywhere, you add sort of like a, a semi-permanent one to each graveyard. And you're talking about having a pool of 15, 13, 11 ghosts. It's not many. So you've got to get the graveyards initially surrounded on four sides when you get to the really hard levels on all eight sides before you can close them off and you're not spanking loads of ghosts out. 
Also, to close off graveyards, you have to sacrifice and bury meeples. And you've got really limited numbers of, of meeples. And the meeple management is incredibly interesting. Sean, oh. turns to the meeple management. You were talking about Kark when you did the top 100. And you said that, you know, you played in a certain way several times, which was quite, for want of a better word, basic. Which You had to your own city. The other players had to their own city. You had to your own roads. The other players had to their own roads. And you're doing your own little thing. Yeah, like yeah. And the comboing up and other people that open opportunities to jump in on your city and stuff opened your eyes. Yes. That comboing is absolutely at the heart of being able to do well and miss over Carcassonne. Right. So you, you kind of have to think in, in that kind of slot, what I would term as slightly advanced Carcassonne play to, to really succeed. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? hundred percent. Because well, if you score a city and it's only you in it, you score those points once, you score the 14, 16 points, whatever. If you manage to get two colours in there, you double it. Manage to get three colours in there, you triple it. And managing the pool of ghosts and using like your four-point cities or your two-point roads, instead of scoring those points, you can just take some ghosts off the board to manage that pool while you're setting up the big scoring opportunities is what we found to be like a really successful way of doing it. Sean lent it to us last week. I've played it eight times in the last week. I've only got to level four or six. Even to get that far, you have to have this thinking and you have to have this planning ahead and you have to have the right, how are we going to help each other out? How are we going to... And you might think from that, that's not going to work very well two-player. It might work best two-player because it's actually really tricky because instead of having five meeples of a colour, you each have three meeples of two colours. So I can combo with myself yeah yeah but i still have to set it up in advance i still can't add two into the same city i have to have them down and then link the two cities i know i know you always say this is a per a people problem and not a, a game problem but is it difficult not to quarterback if if you had somebody who wasn't at your level had only played carcassonne sort of very sporadically and very friendly would it be difficult to not say to them, well, you, if you go here, that's the better option? Or can you just sit back and let people get on with it? I think you answered your own question. <laughs> well, how do you find it? Did you Were you sort of biting your knuckles and in frustration, or was it just something that you were both in tune with? Rachel and I played it together, and she got it straight away. We taught Ellie and played it a few times. She got it straight away, and then we taught Caitlin yesterday who has played Carcassonne in bits and is decent at Carcassonne, but it's been a long time and he's not the most you know, enthusiastic gamer in the world. And for the first few turns, she was like, oh, I don't know, where shall I put it? Oh, I don't know, Dad, you just tell me. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to play the game for you. But what we did is we narrated what we were doing. I'm going to put this here around the corner so that hopefully we can join it up a bit later. And then right, Rachel will be like, I'm going to put this here. Right, I'm going to leave this, just because we played it a few times, I'm going to leave this gap, which I know is perfect for a graveyard. So if we get one, it can pop in there. Within a few turns, she was in the game. And she was doing it herself. And, she was, and this is like also one of the things that's so good about it. There is very rarely one good and obvious choice. Because you're trying to manage and close off those missed fields to get rid of loads yeah. of ghosts. You're trying to set things up for later. You might have a graveyard that needs dealing with, which I could use this tile for, but it will add three ghosts rather than two if I put it somewhere else. But equally, I could use that tile to join up these two cities we've been trying to do for a while. And there's generally a few pots on the boil at once. 
And it's like, well, which of these am I going to add to? Which am I going to join up to? And then always, of course, you might get like a right angle road tile where you're like, well, my turn's rubbish. I should put it there. Move <laughs> on. That happens. But generally, for every tile, there are multiple options once the board's built up cool. a little bit. So if someone says, I'm going to put it here for this reason, it's very difficult to say, well, that's not as valid as this other reason that I'd thought of, or that's yeah. the other reason, or this other reason, or that fifth reason you could have done it for. Any of them could cool. be valid. And the levels. Like you said, you reached the fourth out of six. Is the first one quite easy and maybe family level, or or did it start off quite difficult if you haven't really sort of played a lot of Carcassonne? No, I'd say the first one's quite easy, but also what I'd say is having played a good bit of Carcassonne and played a lot of co-ops, start on level one because it is just a slightly different way of thinking and there is just a couple of things to remember and also to manage. So where I say that there might be five or six valid places to go, that's because there's five or six issues going on at once. And they're all quite low key. Don't get me wrong. They're not like high pressure. We've got to do this in the next two tiles. That can happen because you have to hit certain point goals before you get through the stacks. You, you, you divvy it up into three stacks of tiles. And by the time you get to the bottom of the first stack, you have to get that certain number of points. But that's in the higher levels. In the lower level, it's worth playing level one just to go, okay, cool. This is the foundation. What's level two? It adds this couple of things. Play it. Got it. Now I start on level three. Even when I'm teaching someone like Caitlin hasn't played that much Carcassonne, start on level three. This is this is the actual game. Yeah, levels four, five, six, you're getting there when you're good enough to get there. So I'd say three is almost like the default. You could teach someone from there. For family, so your question was for families. Yeah. Start on one. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Definitely start on one, and it, there's a game there, and and it, it creates that inner logic of the system of, okay, that's what we have to manage. That's what we have to be aware Ooh. of. And every edition of rules is, is intuitive. Like even when you first read them, you're like, it does what? I'm sorry, what? And then so you get like these little hounds that come out when you hit certain point goals. Like I said, if you hit the point goal for the first stack, you get a hound out. They'll chase some ghosts away, and then when you score the meeple that the hound's with, they'll score a few more points again. And it becomes second nature how they work. It's just like, oh, yeah, cool, use a hound. It can do, help us do that, help us do this. It's really, really good. What did Matthew June say about well, it? Well, I was going to get to that. I, I had no interest in this, even having looked at it, at, uh, looked at it rather, in Essen. I thought it just looked a bit chaotic and I was wondering what the draw was and I'd been stung a few times by Carcassonne expansions and new implementations and I just wasn't that fussed by it but you got quite excited about it even before you played it and then as you as you alluded to there Matthew he thinks it might even be his game of the year so that's how much he likes it he absolutely adores it so with the, between the two of you, mate, you made me interested. You have, hence me buying it and then lending it to you, and you've gone on from strength to strength with it. So I'm definitely interested now. If this isn't in my top ten for 2022 when we come to record it, it will have been a hell of a year. It will be a 2013. <laughs> this is a fine. Honestly, this was a fine, fine game. We've had a ton of fun. I know we're not supposed to be rating these, but I think, Ronan, you're not going to come back to this and do a full review on it. So you might as well give it a rating because you've played it enough. Put you on the spot now. Well, <laughs> final, final rating is going to be dependent upon, for us anyway, how challenging it is at level six. Because if playing level six is always a challenge, it always feels hard. That's what we're going to want it to be. And that will ultimately dictate whether it's a game that we've played 15 times 
and it goes to the wayside or we're still playing it at 50 times and an absolute classic so but you can hear that already it's up there somewhere my current rating of it would be something like uh 90 wow okay i was thinking high 80s but he's gone into the 90s people wow yeah, there's a big difference between those two. <laughs> um, yeah, we we got it out and we just want to play it all the time. And, and like I say, we're enjoying it. Ellie's enjoyed it. Kate's enjoyed it. All different levels of gaming. I tried to order it the other day. It turns out I ordered the new of just version of Carcass. <laughs> you eat it. And I'm like, I may as well keep that because all the expansions are all whatever can go in it. So I've now got new Carcass on. Uh, it's hard to get. You can't get it. Apparently. Sure, it'll get reprinted. I'm sure it'll be easy to get soon. But yeah, you might not get your. Is that you stealing my copy? Well, borrowing it. <laughs> Speaking of Essen, and thank you for lending it to me. You're Speaking welcome. of Essen and being excited and going to a booth and possibly going back to a booth <laughs> and then possibly going back to a booth again on Saturday just to get a game. Sean, you've been playing Oak. Yes, Ronan, Oak. We're going back again to me liking the deluxe version of things. I could have got the the bog standard version, uh, but I really wanted the deluxe version of Oak, so I kept going back until they had it. So, yay! And it probably wasn't worth it. <laughs> it's not that deluxe. So, uh, Oak, yeah, 22, 2022 release, Vim Goosens, and coming from Game Brewer. It's all about... You are a a party of druids or a clan of druids and you're all worshipping the the life-giving tree. You are basically vying with the other clans to pay the most respect to the tree and whoever does it the best is going to win the game. It's a worker placement game, but it's a worker placement game in which you can upgrade your workers. So you've got your basic workers that are your active workers and they can go in various spaces on the board and the way you activate them is by playing a card and the card has two uses you can play something to the board or you can play something into the tree but you don't play your active druids into the tree you play your passive druids who are all gathered by the tree so there's a kind of to and fro or getting workers into your active pool or keeping them there so that they can go up on into the tree so there's that that's the one of the things about the game and as i said you can upgrade and you can become a sort of a leader a druid or a, a elder i think they're called druid and each of the elders have a has a special power normally you have to pay extra if you want to place in this in a place where there's already a, a someone as his worker and one of the elders does that where you can do it for free or get an extra resource and there's one even there that if you get the right potion out we'll talk about potions later that elder can do all of the powers of all the other elders so lots of different scoring Ronan I don't know how much you know about this but there's lots of different elements where you can go and try and really capitalize on I heard it short of an icon or two <laughs> yeah yeah there's a few icons <laughs> but I think they all yeah they all make sense I think are we talking dozens are we talking hundreds are we talking dozens we're not talking hundreds no small icons small print I I haven't had any issues. I haven't had anybody that did have any issues, so I can't I can't say that that's true. I don't think it is because we've. I don't think that that bears fruit. Okay, unlike an oak with its. Well, acorns. there you go. Mm. There you go. I like it. 
every game is different with setup and you're setting out and you're going, oh, this one yeah, does it a bit so differently to the other one. I touched upon that the elder that can copy all the other elders. The opportunity to create that elder only become, comes about if you put the right potion out. Every game you're going to have a, a stack of number one potions, two potions, three potions, and they, they'll all do different things. But the three potions are the special ones that you can either do that and they, or there's a special set of action cards that you can get hold of. And they, they just do something quite quite big to the game and give you that a, a, an ability to really sort of boost up your powers so that's where the elder for that comes in so yes there as, to answer your question there are, there are lots of, there are lots of things that you change from game to game within sort of that changing like the, the powers change and how you do it change mm-hmm. you always have to have a plan and things are very tight right so that touches on something so you always have to have a plan but what we have found it's a four player game but there's five player boards and each player board represents a different clan but they each board has got its own special unique asymmetric power and what we have found if you don't lean into that and other people do you won't have a chance of winning the game so it does really really heavily push you down a certain strategy or a certain tactic within the game itself some of them are more obvious than others Uh, i think some of them need a few plays to bring out what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing some of them are literally you get more resources so go and make more potions so we that kind of felt a little bit railroaded in tight times There's, there's trains in it (laughs) yes druid trains okay groovy all right no worries i'm really trying hard to reach for a a joke a pun on druid and trains i can't find one yet i was like sickle line mistletoe no 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 no. we'll move on just move on. we'll do without that pun (laughs) looks gorgeous sean very beautiful art uh it does have that toy factor so when you upgrade one of the druids into an elder you literally put a an item of clothing or an item onto that meeple so it might be a, a headdress or a, a satchel down the side or one of them's even got a couple of little birds that sit on the on his shoulder and <laughs> so it definitely has the toy factor quite fiddly at times especially the birds they always fall off i bet you love that you little sad though <laughs> <laughs> but it does look beautiful on on the board. Like There's a night and day sticker side dolly as well. dressing up for Sean. <laughs> Yay! Um, there's a night and day side as well on the on the deluxe version so you can flip it over and it's night and it's all lit up and it's all very pretty and the components are all wooden nice components in their own trays and yeah it looks lovely. It does look lovely but it's that game brewer type of where if other, other companies are using game trays, game brewer are very particular about not using plastic in the game, which is brilliant, which is really great. So it probably doesn't look as amazing because everything is those, those uh, boxes that you make out of the punch boards where you put them together yourself. But you, know, you can't knock them for protecting the, the environment. So fair play to them. The druids would probably do them in if they hadn't. <laughs> it all sounds like I'm I'm getting tempted towards it. It's tight, it's varied, you gotta have a plan, it looks nice, five rounds doesn't overly last. 
So, why wouldn't I be too excited to have it? I'm going to ask you, but I'm also going to throw something at you that I have seen mentioned again got, and again. I've got a very, a very... I like, let me just say this. I like this game a lot. I like playing it. I don't like the way the game ends. And I have a bit of a problem. Wow, that is definitely part of it. That's what I've heard. Should I let the person who's played the game say it? <laughs> so there is no end of game scoring. Zero. So depending on how experienced you are with the game, we're finding that maybe into round four, halfway through round four, we can pretty much say there's nothing that you or you can do. I'm going to win the game because I'm I've, I'm ahead and I know what I'm going to do and I know what you can do and there's nothing really you can do to, to alter me winning the game. And we've, we've kind of got to that point now and it's kind of an anticlimax. It's a massive anticlimax. I would love there to be some hidden end of game scoring in there just to keep you on your toes. Just even if you do think you're going to win the game, just so you just have that inkling more, I don't know, maybe Natalie's holding uh, two or three cards that I don't know about. So that's my problem with the game. That seems to be the general problem. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to agree with you there. Oh, no, thank you. Well thank you. <laughs> but in general, playing the game is really enjoyable because of all the different routes you can go and you're collecting cards that give you powers. You've got artifacts that you collect initially and you have to spin and and you have to give back points, but the powers are so good on them and they get you points at the end, going up the tree and choosing which branch to go and you choose. So I, I say there's no end of game scoring, there's there's an end of branch scoring. So you when you get to the end of the branch, oh. uh, you, you score, but you know who's going to get there. So you know who's going to score what. So if I've got loads of the beasts cards. Hold on, say. hold on, branch line. Branch line was ah, the pun. There you go, you got there in the end. Well ah. done. <laughs> okay, insert branch line pun back. So, yeah, Two yeah. minutes. Um, right. So yeah, if I've got all the beast cards and there's there's a scoring for everything. There's like a, a when you reach the end of the branch, there's a scoring for everything. So if you've Nine. got loads of potions, if you've got loads of beast cards, if you've got loads of artifacts, there's even one for if you've got loads of points, you get you score more points. So you but you'd know where people are heading down. So I know that Matthew's going to the beast one because he's got all the beasts and he's going to get there because he's way ahead of us and it's not in our interest. So. I think as the game goes on, we could be we could start negatively heading towards the different scoring. So if Nat, if I know Nat's got loads of potions, then maybe I get there first, so she can't score it. That's maybe a tactic we can we can explore a little bit more. But as per when the game finishes, it's over and there is no more scoring. Give me a three games rating of Oak. Well, I think it started at an eighty-five. It's now at about a seventy-four. Uh, about 47 for me then. Got it, got it. Cool. Bless you. I Bless know you. where it is. So very wrong about games, Sean. Yes, the podcast. Do you ever listen? I have got them on my new list. I've uh, gone through loads of recommendations and I've got them uh, to listen to. I was, I was talking to you the other day, actually. I listened to Punchboard Paradise who've got a really interesting draft thing that they do. It's not like a straight top 10. And it means that nobody can have the same two games. So the one I listened to was uh, overrated games, funnily enough. 
and they were literally drafting games. Well, I'm choosing this one. They're like, oh, I was going to choose that one. And they say how oh, rubbish it is. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. And then the people who listen vote on who's got the best list. So I thought it was quite entertaining. I love a draft format. <laughs> Anything. Like they got a bunch of players together for the last tour and drafted their best ever British and Irish Lions. And then yeah. they were talking about, I've gone for this position because like the first player is better than the second player, even though like other positions. And I was like, I love this. I can watch this for hours. So I've put them on my, uh, I've downloaded five episodes over the last five episodes, so they, they are ready to be listened to. Anyway, so very wrong about games. Which yeah. have been banging on about a co-op card game called Regicide oh, for yes. many, many, many months. And I, uh, on on the back of that, whatever, I, I added it to a basket for free shipping or whatever it might be. And I'm like, yeah, why not? And then it was, we were knocking around, weren't we? And I was like, oh, I've got this little game that maybe... And we did, didn't we? Me, you and Eddie. We did, yeah. You you asked me what I wanted to play. I was being a bit of a misery. I said, I don't really want anything too too tricky, which you, you, you fooled me. But I definitely said I wanted to play Just a, a little card game? How Just a little, I've got a little be? card game that's a co-op. You won't have to think too much in this one, Johnny. Don't like That's it. exactly how I speak. Well done there. <laughs> I'm going to go a bit bushy now because you're taking the mick out of my squeaky voice. <laughs> it's just a little card game, man. It's just 52 cards, ace to king of the four suits. Each of the four suits have got a little power and the picture cards, the jacks, queens and kings are attacking you and you're using the other number cards to defend and defeat them and trying to defeat all 12 of them. And like I say, the four suits have got different powers. You can defend with them. You can double up your attacks. Or you can get cards from the joint discard pile back into the joint draw pile. Or you could draw cards from the draw pile. If you play hearts, you get to do that. So you're managing this deck between all the players. You're making sure everyone's got enough cards in their hand. You're looking to trigger off. Every time you play a card, it attacks whatever is the current enemy the jacks need I'm going to mess this up. 20 to kill. The queens need 30 complete power to kill. And the kings need 40 power to kill. So if I play an eight down, I've done eight damage to this jack. He's got 12 left. He's going to hit me back for 10 every time they hit for 10. And let's just play the spade because the spade will prevent some of that for every attack while that jack is still in play. Clubs are double power. Like I said, uh, hearts lets you move cards from the discard pile back into the draw pile. And diamonds let you share out cards from the draw pile, but only up to people's hand limit. Just play a dependent. So if you play a massive diamond in order to do loads of damage, but everyone's mostly full of cards, you've wasted the potential of that. But it might be the right thing to do to prevent you from taking lots of damage. As you defeat picture cards, they come into the discard pile or the draw pile. If you do it like exact amount of health uh, damage to it, there are aces that let you combo up so you trigger more than one power at once. You can combo up lower value cards and they add each other's value together and you can trigger off all the suits off them if you're brave enough to sit there with low-value cards in your hand because you're about to get hit by something. And every time you get hit, you have to discard cards of the value of the damage you've taken. And if you can't do that, you die and we've all lost. And it's just a simple, friendly little co-op, Sean, that you don't have to think too much about. It's just a little deck of cards. (laughs) You son of a gun. Yes, it was uh, quite thinky. So I think you mentioned that So Very Wrong About Games really struggled to beat it. We, we heard that information. We were like, right, hands rubbing together. Lovely. Let's get into this. Let's let's show them. And the key factor for me in this game was you're not allowed to talk to each other. 
you're not allowed to say what you've got in your hands. Like you can sort of show each other, I've got, I've only got four cards left and things like that. But all other information, key pertinent information is, you can't say it. I really like that because we had to read what each other was playing down. So I'm going to say, I'm going to come straight off, Ronan. I, I really like this game. Maybe not instantly. But the more I played it, and then afterwards, I thought about this game. So, and I thought about things that I could have done better, and things that I could have done to help you read what I was doing a lot better. So, I think that's that shows a good game, if you're still thinking about it, a week afterwards. You know that that whole, whole idea that you could have passed information to me by what cards you played shows that you've been playing the crew. <laughs> maybe, Before we maybe. played the crew, you would never have thought of that, I promise you. No, no, not at all, not at all. You're becoming a trick taker, mate. <laughs> uh, slowly but surely. I was very taken by this one eventually. Initially, it was kind of a brain burner. and I was It was like, punishing oh. as well, though. It was because very game punishing. Is punishing. And... If you pick one wrong card out your hand and you play it, and suddenly the repercussions yeah. come out, and you go, oh, if I'd played this card... Oh no! Like, and it's incredible that it does that to you because you think oh, I'll play this one, I'll play that one, it doesn't matter. It always seems to matter. 100%. And you have to be watching what everybody else has got in their hand and the types of cards they're playing. You have to do it because you need to know. So if I can see that Ronan's got two cards left in his hand and the la- even the- even with those two cards, the last card that he's played wasn't a diamond that's going to get him more cards back into his hand. I know I have to step up to the plate if I've got a big old diamond and I need to play that so to get him the cards into his hand. Otherwise, when it gets around to him, we're going to lose the game because he's going to die. He's not going to be able to pay the penalty for when he gets attacked. Or... And there's, but that's the beauty. There's not just that. I could defend a big old defend card. I think was it clubs or spades that you defend spades, against. Yeah. So I know that he's not going to get hit. So when it does come round to him, he's not going to die. And then we stay in the game. So he's very, very clever in that aspect. It could be played with just a deck of cards. It, they literally yeah, absolutely. are. Like but what they have done for me, for the cleverness of the game, I was happy to pay a few quid for it. I love the artwork, Sean. And it's not something I'm really too fussed about. <laughs> so I, I wasn't fussed in at there. all. I wasn't really? fussed. No, I thought it was odd. It was it, it was quirky. I say that. <laughs> there were some strange old yeah. characters in there. Yeah, I like that. And I thought that actually the the enemies, some of them were ominous without being sort of like obviously over the top evil, like the cardinal looking one and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah, no, I get that. And also the cards did stand out. So even at the end, like I said, I always got that massive bald thug looking one. And then he was like, yeah, I always got the little duckbill platypus thing. And they stood oh, yeah. out. <laughs> so we were talking about them. So it, it did something. The Five Hearts is a penguin that's got like carry like it's like a Doctor Penguin. You like penguin? Give me a penguin for it. Did its job. Like the art did its job, definitely. I, I really think to me it created a little bit of an atmosphere of you're in this sort of ominous world and you're fighting and, and very like you say, strikingly simple, but but very like gives you a strong impression of what's there. Big hit. Thank you so very wrong about games for pointing it out. Like I say, it was a, it was an add to basket throwing thing. 100% worth it. I've had loads of fun with it. We played it again last night. Minds were blown 
thoughts were thought, conversations were had, mistakes were made, a seven of something was thrown down, and then we lost the next turn. And they were like, oh, if I'd only played this seven, yeah. But you just throw it down because the game is so quick to play. It's pretty quick to teach. It takes a little while for people to get what everything does. I think only because you're thinking about so many factors in this real simple decisions you're making that you get yourself mithered a bit until you kind of get into the rhythm of what they all do. It's challenging. It's cheap. It looks nice. It's uh, You'll talk about it afterwards. You cannot have an alpha player because you cannot know what's in each other's hands. So even though that is a person problem, not a game problem, it's not a problem in this whatsoever. I think Registine is absolutely a big, big hit. Fantastic little game. Yeah, definitely a very good game. Cool. So the next game I would like to discuss, Ronan, is Lacrimosa. Uh, Lacrimosa made a, quite a big splash at Essen. It was uh, designed by Gerard Asensi and Ferran Renelius. They hadn't really done anything until this Essen, and they were also responsible for another game we previewed, which was 1998 ISS. And Ferran on his own, was um, the designer of Insecta, the Ladies of Entomology, which had a little bit of buzz for one of the smaller games. And coming from, it's coming from De Vere now. Lacrimosa. What is the theme? I still don't know. It's something about Mozart's just died. And we are students of his or acolytes in some sort of form. And... In one aspect, we've been asked by Mozart's um, widow to finish his last work, which was the Lacrimosa. And in other aspects, we are going around Europe boasting about how much we knew him and and talking about him. It's quite odd, Ronan. It is quite odd. (laughs) And (laughs) I've been told off for moaning about themes in here, moaning that I don't want all the same themes and I'd like to see different themes and then I'm not allowed then to moan about a different theme I've been told this theme puts me personally off if you dig it all about it I am tone deaf the whole music thing doesn't get me I, I played the drums for a reason because there's no tone to them <laughs> so that's, that suits me so <laughs> the thing with the theme Sean is at least it helps you teach the game and run it and play it because it yeah, all ties yeah, everything yeah, together no, yeah? not at all not at all no, yeah, no, 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 not at no. all, not at all. So, okay, the theme's odd, fine. People who are into music and classical music might look at it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, mate, that's, that makes a lot of sense. But even within the rules themselves, they call things by different, like an ode is called an ode in one thing, but then described as something else in the rule book. The rule book really, really tries to bring that theme in, and it makes it really difficult. So you're like, what's what, what's an aria? What's a, what's an ode? And what's a memory? And and oh, there's a religious performance, and there's a no, that one's not a religious performance. That's a a, a monument performance, and it's just there's too much of the theme just splashed and painted onto this. And it it starts getting in the way of what actually is a really good game mechanically wise. Yes. And I've heard that from more than one person that mechanically, once you get into it, it's quick playing in terms of you're doing things quickly and level of interaction. I know there's like a a different twist on area control on the actual lacrimosa itself. Is that correct? Am I talking rubbish? 
That, that is correct. Absolutely. Yes, there's a, there's an area control end of game scoring bit, which is the Lacrimosa itself. And so that has a definite interaction. Moving around Europe as well. When you're traveling, when you go to an area, you are taking the tile and it doesn't come back until the next round. So there is that as well. You're taking things from people that they might want. Isn't there a thing where you you set up your next action with one with one of the cards you play as well? So you always have to think about what you're going to do next turn. They're not not yeah not not really. At the end <laughs> of the round, you do so you're thinking about your next turn, and you you are constantly having to think about so what cards to keep. So what happens? The main way of playing your turn, uh, the main mechanism here is you've, you're going to play two cards. And it's a sort of a dual layer board where you can slide the cards in. And so half the bottom half of the card is going to be resources that you're getting. So it's your income. And the top half of the card is the action or actions that you're going to play on this turn. So you're choosing two cards out of four. Now, it might be just that you're hoping to play those as, as income and get other cards. And then you draw two cards into your hand. At the end of the round... You have to think about what card you would like to be in your hand for the first hand of the next round. It's not the be-all and end-all because you're going to get three other cards, but you might set yourself up for something. So I finished this round and I really want to do a memory action and get a memory card. So I'll keep that and make sure I have that in my hand for the first turn of the next round. So there is an aspect of, of kind of making sure you have stuff to chain off things. Again? reports that it's set up really to be played with a full four and you have to mess around with setup and stuff if you're playing with fewer than that how have you found it in terms of player counts i've only played two player so i i don't really know but with the full four you, you just you would have more spaces in the lacrimosa itself so you're just blocking off spaces for the area control at the end of the game that's that's really all you're doing, and there's there's, there's a, a lot of moaning about the setup for two players. There's, no, there's a few tiles you remove from the game that have three and four dots on them for three and four players. There's not really, and a few cards you take two of each card uh, of each type out. But there is there's quite a big setup in itself for every game because you have to shuffle the 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 round one deck of cards and then put a block, a, a separator divider even underneath that, then shuffle the new two and then so on and so on all through to the fifth round. So there is okay. a bit of card shuffling there. Overall, Lacrimosa, so you mechanically, you've enjoyed it? Really, really enjoyed it. You've got a bit of deck building in there, so you bring cards into your hand. But it's not a deck builder, as in your deck's getting larger. When you bring a card into your hand, it replaces the card that you'd played. And it's a better card for income, and it's a better card for actions. And they get better as the rounds go on, so you're constantly thinking, right, I need to improve my hand all the time. So there's lots of things going on. They all make sense Outside of the theme, but once you put the theme in, it makes it a bit murky. Murky? Okay. Murky, yeah. In general, I thoroughly enjoyed my first couple of plays of Lacrimosa. I won't give it a score yet, because I'm still discovering the game. But so far, it's right up there in terms... And I'm quite surprised, because I wasn't that fussed about this in this. And the theme put me off, and I'm glad... That I made a horrible mistake in Thirsty Meeples and bought a game that I just wouldn't ever have played and had to go back and change it. 
<laughs> yeah, you got it by accident. I, I got it by accident, yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, Necromosa, so far, so good. Very nice. And like I say, I keep hearing good things about it. Okay. Calico, Cascadia. Verdant. Sorry. <laughs> Pregnant pause for a reason? You're so disappointed in it, no? No, I was actually going to... I thought you were going to say Verdant, and I was going to say, yeah, and that's the order they should be in. <laughs> oh, mm, you're probably right. It's uh, a drafter, which is a game of two halves and two bits that come together to make the whole. And that's not mechanically, it, well, kind of, but it's thematically as well. You're drafting plants and you're putting plants into a grid, checkerboard style, with rooms which come in five different colours. And plants want different levels of light from these rooms and that will give them a bit of sort of growth tokens on them then there's other ways in which you can add growth to the plants and when a plant gets all the growth on there that it requires then it's eligible to score you points at the end of the game when you're drafting there's a lineup of four plants or four rooms and you choose a plant or a room but there's a tile in the middle and you take the tile with either the plant or the room that you take the tiles are going to be either these equipment that helps you put growth tokens on either loads on one plant or three on one each on three different ones or something like that. Or they're going to be items that are color linked that go into rooms that will help you score points for what's around those rooms. Yeah. So you're drafting different types of plants, you're drafting different colored rooms and you're drafting items that help you score the rooms or grow the plants to score them. And that, duality between the two types of things that you're drafting goes all the way through because there's very little link between them and when you're building a checkerboard the only link between what what plants you're actually putting next to what things is that certain plants want certain lights and there's color matching as well but there are so many different colors coming through that it's very hard (laughs) to get all these matches and yeah it's very hard to get a coherent board put together and it's very hard to feel like you've, you've actually created something that you're happy with, Sean. It's a, it's a game of constant compromise, which is very, very Ooh. simple mechanically. Yeah. And we always say we like to have something built by the end of a game. You go, I made this. I look at what I've made at the end of each of my games of Verdant and I feel a bit like looking back on my year three pottery in St. Gregory's <laughs> and And I go, how did I ever think that looked like a wise man? I don't know what that is. I have written down two, two major issues I've got. The first one is quite simply that it's quite lucky. You got very somber. I feel like you're about to really give this a kick. You're like, Whoa, what's going on? I, uh, I was quite, I had quite high hopes for this game because I do. I love Calico and I like the other one. I can't think of the name of. What's it called? Cascadia. Yeah. Cascadia. That's the one. I, I like Cascadia, although it does have its flaws. But this one, just right from the off, it felt like I'm going to have to be lucky to get what I need in this game. And as the game went on, that feeling just increased and increased because you kind of hone in on what you want to see coming out in the draw. So you might want to see blue rooms or plants that really like sunshine. And if they don't come out, you're kind of hosed because you have to choose something. Something has to go down. 
And if they do come out, then your choice is very, very obvious. Well, I desperately want that blue ornament for the room, for my, my collection of blue rooms. So therefore, that is the obvious choice. And that's the only real thing I'm going to go for. I'm not fussed about the other stuff. You're choosing from a load of old crap too often. You're choosing from a load of old crap or you've got a very obvious choice, is what I'm trying to say. And if that's happened, it's fallen in your lap and you don't feel clever, you're like, well, yeah, Yeah, that's that's hard. Because everyone is setting up a bit of a grid where they're going, I'm trying to do this. Hmm. Like everyone is, no one is ever played a game is going to look at this and not set up some sort of a grid and go, right, like you say, blue plant. Blue plant goes there, it's perfect. It's got me a load of points. Give me a blue plant. Give me a blue plant. Give me a blue plant. Oh, I'll take a yellow room. And it's also very easy to look around the table and like I was the furthest point from Rachel, but I knew she was going mad for the for the blues. And she wanted blue ornaments to really hit her scoring. So it would be very easy for me just to take the blue stuff, especially when my stuff wasn't coming out. And it was just a no-brainer. So And that's it, the negative draft isn't painful because half the game feels like a negative draft. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really want. So it's not like you're like, oh, I'm giving up that to stimmy you. It's like, I'm giving up nothing, nothing to stimmy yeah. you. Like, this is, these are just bad choices for me all around. <laughs> and I was wondering why it felt like that so badly. And Ooh. I think it's that, to me, it's that duality thing of it's trying to do too much with such a simple draft. It's trying to do colour matching and get the right ornament. And then you need those, those like that soil or that trowel or whatever in order to grow the best plants to score points for them. If you do that, then your colour matching becomes less important. And it's just for such a simple draft, there's too much weighted on it. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's overloaded the tactics of the game and just made everything inconsequential or lucky. It does feel like kicking a puppy. Because it's not a horrible game. Like I don't hate. I didn't hate playing it, but the more the game went through, because I only played it once, I kickstarted it. I've got a copy, and I've never been that fussed to actually break out my copy, having played with you guys. Because I just it was meh. It's fine. I play it if Nat says I really want to play it. I'll play it, but I'll go in with my eyes open this time. Well, I'm a bit gutted because, like, when those plants were coming out, I played it. A- few times and like Eddie's looking at them going oh it's one of them oh Bree's got one of them in her room oh we've got one of them at home oh Caitlin's got one of those upstairs because they're into houseplants they love them and they grow and we've got them like Caitlin's whole window is covered in, in houseplants mm. so, and I'm like oh great a theme and they love it and you know it'd be the same as me pulling out oh it's, look it's the bastard of God's grace oh look it's Jon Snow's sword oh yeah, look you know yeah, whatever yeah. it might be I'm like oh that's so cool it's in this game that's for them and you see their enthusiasm for the theme and you're like yeah great and then it's a dull game oh. and I feel bad for kicking it it's, it's the theme thing again of, I, I love that you went for the theme I wish you'd carried on the houseplant theme and not brought in a weird colour matching thing to go with it that doesn't go yeah agreed agreed Verdant is a disappointment and from going from Calico basically said, I'm definitely getting Cascadia. It was okay. Or I'm definitely getting Verdant because it might be a step back up. It's actually a step down. So now they're going to have to prove something to me because I'm not getting the next one in the line if there is another one without yeah. having played it first. So um, I'm gutted. I really want uh, to like Verdant. I concur, sir. I concur. Right. So moving swiftly on, and I did mention this slightly earlier, Resurgence is the next game I would like to talk about. And 
It arrived in my house on via a maths trade. It's very hard to get, if, if if impossible, pretty much through the shops. So it was only a Kickstarter, and I don't know if there's any plans to put it in the shop. So I was very happy to get it, and it's designed by Stan Kordinsky, which will be who we'll be talking about very soon because he's also the uh, designer of Endless Winter Paleo Americans, and it comes from Half a Kingdom Games. It's set in a post-apocalyptic Russia. And uh, things have happened, nuclear weapons have gone off, and the very few survivors are now trying to, well, continue to survive and just trying to build a society up from the ground. There are mutants wandering around the wasteland that are going to make life more difficult for you. And it all sounds very thematic and... Oh, that's not really what we've got here. <laughs> oh, really? Absolutely drew me in, Ronan. Absolutely. I thought, let's just go into the mechanisms quickly. It's a bag-building worker placement game with a post-apocalyptic theme. Sounds amazing to me. Thoughts? Because well, everything I've read about it is just it's just a Euro, which is that like splashed on top, and it's all about the mechanisms of the bag build and the worker placement. I haven't read anything people going, yeah, the theme really came through. <laughs> wow. I'm surprised you got it for the theme. I, I really, I know, I, I, I kind of looked at the theme, and I looked at the mechanisms, and I thought, what a nice blend, perfect for me. But anyway, let's go in. It's a pure Euro, right? Yeah. Well, let's get into it now. So the mechanisms in the game are, as we talk about, bag building worker placement. So you are, your programming is another mechanism in there. So you're programming behind a screen where you would like to place your workers out to. And that does two things. So obviously you're locked into the type of area. So there's three types of area. You've got this red area, which are the city areas. You've got the blue areas, which are the port areas. And you've got your own home board, which is your, your base. And you're trying to build up your base. And you can place workers in there. The more you sort of build it up, the more op- options you have there. You've also got three tracks, which correspond to those three three areas as well. And if you've got the most power of workers in in a track then you're going to move up this track on the board and that's going to give you rewards and end of game points so there's two aspects to that but when it boils down to it right now there's not really that much choice where you go to a lot of the worker placement areas on the board are repeated although the rule book made it feel like this was a really meaty game and i thought oh god we're gonna to have to get our teeth into this by round four four or five we were kind of like yeah i think we've seen everything here we, we, we're kind of just repeating ourselves and doing the same things over and over i'm shocked because <laughs> i've never heard of it before you put this on here yeah uh like like no no idea whatsoever and then i was like i wonder what this is looked it up bag building work placement very highly rated yeah okay kickstarter balance you're gonna like it more it's gonna find mm-hmm. over an eight rating i'm like what Looking through the comments, all of them, solid Euro, really enjoyable. Worker placement works well. Bag building, fantastic. Production, really nice. Reasonably priced. It was just positive after positive after positive after positive. A few of them saying it's a bit too generic. And I was like, "This, is, he's going to like this. This is going to be a surprise hit. So you, you've knocked me out. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know who you are. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely want to bring it down to your yours and play it with myself, you and Rachel, and, and whoever else is around. Because I'd like to get your take on it. 
I might take it if you carry on being this rubbish. <laughs> so the workers all have their individual power level. So you've got yourself, who's the hero, general, whatever, and that's worth three points towards work, your worker placement sort of stuff. And then you've got specialists. There's three types of specialists, and they've all got two-point values. And you've got your bog-standard worker, and they've just got one-point value. But there's only three. As I said, there's only three that you can add to your bag. And so there's a stack of them. There's four of each. And they don't. there's not enough spaces where only they can go. There's like one or two, but there's always ways to get around that. And there's maybe one or two spaces on your player board that they they are they all, are all of this operate. because this sounds like it's familiar to what you're saying before. Is it because you played only two player? I think it possibly worse with more players. All it'll do is add frustration. So to go into a so there are mutants wandering. I said, but you have to and, have frustration in a good worker placement. You have to, yeah, have but blocking. it's it's have... a very mild frustration in that to go into a space where there's another worker, you've just got to pay one of your resources, and. Yeah, maybe that's where the two-player became easy because it was easier to generate resources. So we didn't care. Like, yeah, I'll give a bit of food to go into the same space as a mutant or the same space as Natalie. So that didn't really hold water at all. So it just doesn't feel difficult to do what you want to do. Not at all. I think, like, there should be a pause on this review. Then we have to go and play it with, like, three or four players. And then we press play again and go, with three or four players, it's exactly the same and it's still rubbish, Ronan. Or with three or four players, it completely changes it. Maybe, but I don't think it will. Like That's that's my take on it. I don't think it will change it. I can't see it. Normally, if I can see, yeah, you know what? We've played this too, but this is a three or four player game. And I say that to you quite often. This one, you I do. just can't see it. It's not terrible, but it, we did both said to each other at the end, that was around too long because it got boring. Okay. Your negative has almost made me want to play it more. <laughs> I, I want you to play it. I want, I want to bring it down because I want, I want your take on this. There's also a lot of people banging on about the solo game of it as well, which I reckon you haven't touched with any job. No, I haven't, I haven't touched that. Yeah, I didn't think so. I mean, and it can be with these games that a, a lot of people played it solo and they liked it and that's why it's bumped up. And it just doesn't work for us because that's not what we're particularly interested in. So, maybe, maybe. To be continued. Speaking of solo, Ooh. this is a solo player game, and it is solo player. Is that a thing? Should we say that? No, that's not. Okay, <laughs> a solo game. It's Resist. Resist! It's got an exclamation mark. Resist, Sean! Resist, Ronan. It's about Spanish resistance to General Franco, and it's a solo game in which there are four missions in play at once, and you have a small deck of resistance fighters which are littered with useless spies, and you have a small hand of them, and you're deciding which mission to go on, and each of your fighters has got dual aspect on them, whereby you can keep them hidden for particular powers and attack strength, and you'll get them back again later in the game, or you can reveal them for generally a stronger attack strength and a different power, and situationally it can be more or less useful than hidden power, or they will not come back to you, because they'll be revealed and they will have been taken away. And then you are going to... Flip over enemies on this mission, which will have various effects. If you defeat them, you might get a bonus. If you don't defeat them, something bad will happen. They might guard the mission or guard each other, so you have to take out the guards first before you can do go on further. And you're looking to defeat the mission, 
To get it, you score points. It goes in your victory pile, and a new one comes out with more face-down enemies. If you don't defeat it, generally something bad's going to happen. Although sometimes something good for the first few, which is a bit weird. If you ever don't defeat two missions you've lost, there are certain effects within the game which put civilians into the graveyard, and you draw from a deck. It's one of the weirdest aspects of it, because... Having five civilians in the graveyard will lose you the game, but the cards have between zero and three civilians on. So you can lose from flipping two civilian cards, or you can still be in the game from flipping six civilian cards, because the zero can come around again and again and again. So that's a bit weird as a cat. Anyway. Or you can lose by having all spies in your hand, by, by your deck being thin so much and you've used up all your resistance. The idea is that at a certain point you're going to go, right, my cell of resistance is not strong enough, I'm stopping here. I'm going to count up the number of points I've got from the missions that I have completed, and that's how well I've done in the game. Once you know how to play, there is a scenario book, which has got eight set standalone scenarios and then a small three-scenario campaign. And that, I think, really is where the heart of the game is, and that's where you're going to have a bit more structure to what you're doing. The sort of base setup is more about just learning how to play. People were excited about this at Essen, and they were rushing around trying yes, to pick it up. I had were. backed it. Yeah, they were. And I had backed it and I had got it before Essen and I tried it and I bounced very, very hard off it, Sean, for two reasons at that time. One of them. I know what one of them is. (laughs) You will not hear this from me very often. The quality (laughs) of the components is absolutely shocking. I made Sean touch them. You absolutely did make me me touch them because you you were very upset about the quality. Now... I know for a fact that you don't, you generally don't like to sleeve cards. I know, I think you've got a bit of an issue. You don't like the feel of sleeve cards or the way they stack or something. And yeah, I think it's one of the very few that you have sleeved and probably for good reason. I've got two issues with sleeve cards. One, I constantly feel like I'm on my nerves playing with them because they slidey so much. So I've got, I have to grip them harder. And like, if you knock them on the table, they'll go flying. So I'm always a little bit nervous. And secondly, the corners stick in your hand. Those corners stick in your hand. It hurts. The corners stick in your hand. They're sharp. I've got, I've got respect for you from the for the first point, but mate, you've got you, you've just got to grow up a bit. Not, not let them stick in your hand. Ooh, I want the rounded corners. I don't want the sticky, sticky ones. Okay, it did make me sleeve this to make it playable. In my opinion, I couldn't shuffle those cards. They're too rubbish. And you never hear that from me. And I hate sleeving games. And I had to, so I had to spend a load more money on this game and find out what exactly how many I need of each card sleeve and what size they are and all that sort of nonsense and, and then get them in. And I'm like, ugh. So I bounce off it for that reason. The second reason is, well, actually, there's probably three. I hate it when it's just a solo game that says get to a certain number of points. There's no actual victory condition. It's just how'd you do? 10 yeah. points. Wow. Yeah, I, I saw that a lot in the comments because I, I kind of I didn't know anything really about this game other than it had poor components. And that was one of the main things that people that there's like people are like, I, I want to feel like I've won, but you get to a certain point and you just check your points. Is that right? And and just see how many points you've got. And if you've got enough points, you've won. Is that, is that? Well, some- you haven't really won. It just sort of says, yeah, you did okay. Yeah, you did good. You did good. That's <laughs> Now, that is in the sort of rando setup. When you go into the scenario book, which is what I was trying to like, yeah, say, yeah. learn it, then start playing the scenario book. And right. obviously, I must have come back to the game to be able to say this after bouncing off it hard. The third bounce off, by the way, was it doesn't play like other, other co-ops or solo games. When you go to a mission, you're not going to kill all the enemies, or very rarely. You need to leave things alive. 
and you need to take some negative effects because you have to do the mission yeah. or, apart from once. So you, and so you're always making a judgment. And also you, you want to be protective because you only have 12 operatives. You have to sacrifice them. A lot of people are saying even winning a mission gives a negative reward sometimes. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. There's there's yeah. one of the level one missions that comes out and you get a mix. There's I think there's like you have four of eight and three of six. Or one of them is add an enemy to all other missions. Yeah. So it's like I can never do that one because... So I've done well and you've just slapped me around the face for doing well. Thank you. Yes. And going into it and not knowing that much about it other than it's a solo co-op, those factors all made me go, whoa, no, 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 no. This is, this is a bad experience. I popped it back a bit and went, right, I need to chill out from the fact that it's annoyed me on buying the sleeves and that. I need to go again at this. Adjusting my expectations from I'm going to here to clear up, to clear everything out, I'm a hero, I'm going to kill the soldiers and do the mission and move on and build up and get more powerful to I am a resistance cell. I start and I'm going to get weakened by becoming active because some of my members are going to get killed and the army's going to be more aware of me and they're going to start hunting me down. And I am very much eking out my resources and I am targeting certain missions and going, I need to do that one, I need to do that one hard and we might sacrifice two or three of our comrades here. And other ones, I'm like, let's just squeeze through this one and take a bit of a hit and just like, because we can't do them all. It's a complete change of mindset. I can see that, absolutely. Is it? Is it too hard for you? So there were two types of, like, there was most people on BGG said that this was really hard and punishing. For some, it was a, po- a positive, and for some, it was a negative. Where did you sit on that? I'm coming around to it. Okay. It, it, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it does. It's a different feel. It, and again, it, you, I think you kind of have to get into that narrative of it, of we're a band of, of comrades, brothers and sisters. We're going to do our best here. At the end of the day, we're not all going to make it and we're not going to change the world, but we are inspiring some resistance. And if you get that into it, then every little victory is like, a right, right, we've done that. Great. Every little victory is there to be savoured. As opposed to, yeah, yeah, that's one done. There's eight more to do. Ah, second one, yeah, 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 there's more to do, there's more to do. It's like, wow, right, we did that. Because every little step is difficult. And every combo of powers is difficult. And every one that you say, right, you're the one that's got to go, is difficult. And every time you're looking at it going, okay, I'm going to have to leave that traitor alive, which means I'm going to lose one of these cards. The ones I've tried to keep hidden. It's all difficult decisions. So you have to learn to savour the small things. Right. Last thing from me, Brandon. By all accounts, it looks like it's been solved. The game has been solved and there is a way to play it where you win every time. The likes of us may never reach that unless we read it in a thing, but uh, I did happen across a thread uh, that was linked to to this thread where it, basically someone just outlines they do go to great lengths say like don't go below this if you don't want the spoilers but they they outline exactly how to win the game david is it david thompson the designer Ronan? yeah there's two of them david thompson yeah. i think trevor yeah david thompson did come in and from what i can see he wasn't saying no <laughs> he wasn't saying you're wrong he pointed out a couple of inaccuracies or in what the certain characters do but the guys corrected them and said yeah don't change it 
And people in the comments were saying, yeah, that's pretty much it solved. So you might have the the old glass cannon effect with Eclipse, but if you don't go there and study it, then you're never going to find it. So probably not a massive deal. There's 24 resistance fighters. And when you first play, they say, just shuffle them all up, draw 12 randos, learn Mm. how to play the game. And then when you've played it a few times, draft and set uh, up your deck of 12 that are active and 12 that are hidden. Yeah, there you If go. you do that, if you decide I'm going to particularly pick this certain set of powers, I can see that it might be possible to constantly be like, I just, I'm not worried because I keep getting more in and more in. I've done it. And I, okay, I can see that. That's not the most difficult thing in the world to fix. Just shuffle them yeah. and take 12 randos. Yeah. And so Fair this is what I've got to work with. I mean, yeah, I, and I've never looked at it. I haven't thought about that. I've, trust me. Trust <laughs> me, I haven't got a secret win. I haven't scored more than about 13 points ever. I've, and, like, I think you need 21 for a proper win. So I'm rubbish at it. But I'm, it's I'm like quite... me in Eclipse. Like me in Eclipse. Like, yeah, the people saying, oh, there's this, there's this obvious way to win. Oh, is there? I don't know. I'm never going to find it. So it's <laughs> still a great game to me. Still a great game to me as well. Resist, it's it's an odd fish. It's very, very highly rated. I think probably overly highly rated. Mm. I think there's other solo games that do similar things better, but it does actually feel unique. Despite the fact the mechanisms on the surface level aren't that unique, the implementation of them, the feeling it gives you, the story it gives you, I think actually becomes very, very thematic. And you very much do feel like you're in this struggle just trying to get, like I said a hundred times there, the small wins. Cool. I do need to play it more. I, I'm not I'm not fully recommending it yet. I intend to play mm. it more. I intend to play more of the standalone scenarios and hope that it gives it more of a shape to yeah. it. Tentative score? Uh, yeah. That's hard. That's hard because from that first couple of encounters, it would have been about a three. <laughs> and, uh, it was going in the pond along my laptop. Um, now, five games in... Um, oh, I still want to carry on playing it. So it's probably around maybe a 70. Yeah, that's decent. That's decent. And it's been rising. Hmm. And it, now it's time to sort of next five games. Is it going to stick around and get really high and be a solo game that I'll bother keeping? Or is it like, right, I've seen that. It was good enough, but it goes. Lovely. Right. Last game we're going to have a little chat about before we go into our top 10 of 2013 is Endless Winter, Paleo Americans, another 2022 release. Stan Kordinsky, as I already mentioned in Resurgence, coming from Fantasia Games. Rodan, you've played this with me, so you know this. I'm not going to go into a lot of depth in terms of what happens because there's an awful lot happening in this game. The basics are... It's a worker placement. You've got three workers. One of them is your chief who does something special. There are four worker placement areas on the board, and they all correspond, and they cascade into into certain areas. One of them is all about hunting and collecting animals. One of them is about there is a, a landscape where you, it's all about area control and putting your your markers down on the area control board. One of them is all about getting cards into your hand which are which are workers so there's a deck building aspect to it another one is all about getting 
different types of cards which operate at the beginning of your turn. They're completely different to your worker, your worker sort of power cards. And also getting end of game scoring, you move up, you're moving up uh, charts to to affect your end of game scoring. The higher you go up on these tables, the better your end of game scoring will be. At a very high level. When you do play a worker, you're looking to power that worker with the word I can never think about, labour. It's you're trying to give them enough labour to do the the actions on the board as they are. And you're playing cards for that, or you're holding back cards, because at the end of each round, there is a, a round in which the, you can bid for first player and get other uh, additional rewards. Uh, so a bit all over the shop, as was my teaching when I played with Ronan and Rachel, because this game... It was not. It was very well taught. Because <laughs> this game is a little bit all over the shop, Ronan. Would you agree? I, I need to put a proviso in here. I've only played it once, and Sean's played it more. Uh, than me. Yeah, I've played it a few times. I, we, I didn't even talk about the Megalith board, but then we did talk about it well, maybe a little bit too far, maybe a step too far, the Megalith board, but we'll get I to I think that. we need to put some context to all of that. <laughs> the, uh... Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, so initial level, it's action selection, it is hand management is crucial to it all. And then your deck building, which will create, obviously, the hands you're going to get, which are then going to manage to reach these turns. It's interesting that it's very tactical deck building because it will tend to be that your deck doesn't go around that often, Sean. Because even though it's a bit of a longer game, what will we second two, two and a half hours maybe for three players? Yeah. Maybe that will get shorter with familiarity, but it's a longer game. There's actually only four rounds. That's correct, yes. So you're doing three actions each in four rounds. So it's 12 actions if you took it at a very simple level over a long time. There is lots of triggers off each action. As Sean says, it feels a little bit lacerdery in that I do this, but it also triggers that and triggers this and triggers that. The Eclipse round is a whole thing in itself, which you're playing cards out, and your turn can be quite long. But the thing is, the deck doesn't cycle around very often, and everything is much more immediate than you'd expect it to be in a game of that length. It is, and you you do kind of constantly have to think about getting those additional worker cards in because, therefore, you're not going to have enough power to do all the actions that you really want to do. I keep saying power. Just switch in labour for power. We know what we're talking about. Same, same. Uh, yes, you either get... You, there's two resources to manage. You're managing your axes, which you need to hunt animals and build tents and stuff. You're managing your food... Your yeah. food is there to pay for things, but also you can spend it for labour or you can spend cards from your hand for labour. That's right, yeah. If you spend cards from your hand for labour, though, you're not setting yourself up for the eclipse phase at the end of each of these four turns where they'll dictate who gets first player and they'll give you bonuses for not having used them during the round. So there's always a constant balance between these three resources of using your axes and getting them in, using your, your food and getting it in, and balancing your labour. And all the time you're thinking tactically about all those three things. Yeah, and then to throw on top of that, you've got the other cards that I mentioned. You play at the beginning of your turn before you even start placing your worker, and you and you play those down, and they just give you sort of one-off bonuses and move you up on places or put things down on areas. And, and as they as your hand grows, then they grow as well. So towards the end of the game. Whereas you might have started with like each turn was two or three minutes, maybe. Now you've got five, six, seven minute turns and you're like, right, I'm going to play that to do that. And then you're chaining off things. So that's where the length in the game comes. For sure. For sure. And that's kind of 
half the game. That whole deck management, uh, yeah. what cards you pull in, what combo you're setting up. It's two of the actions, it's half the game. The other bits are like three mini games that have been put into the overall structure. The first one is going hunting and do you can either you collect these animal cards basically and you can kill them to get loads of food, which could drive your labor engine if, if you want, but also you can collect them in sets. So there is like a small set collection game there, which is fairly abstract and it, you score some points from it and, and it's one of the ways in which you're going to drive scoring points. And it, it kind of is a little bit, of th- it, this is the th- most themeless game ever, but what does deliver the theme is the, the artwork feels very thematic, but so we'll, what we'll do is we'll move on now to the area control. So you've got a landscape uh, full of hexes and it's a randomly generated one each game. And you are going to put your tents, which are on your board. And it's kind of like you kind of got a bit of a gay, a gizzle war. That's not a word I wanted at all. Great Western Trail. <laughs> Two completely different things. Great Western Trail thing going on. When you take something off your board, it often gives you something else, a reward or an ongoing issue, uh, production issue. Um, issue? I'm just, words failing again. I don't know but where you're getting Great Western Trail either. I'm, I'm lost when in When you that. take things off with Great Western Trail, you get extra stuff. So if you take one of your things off and put it on the board, then quite often it gives you yeah. a reward. I wouldn't call it a Great Western Trail thing. I think it's like loads and loads of games. I didn't think that was at the heart of Great Western Trail. It's well, yeah, when you remove things, you, there's a bonus yeah, underneath. Yeah, it was them. the game that I thought of when I, th- when I thought about it. Okay. But so you're putting your tents down and you're putting it in a central space and the action place where you go either allows you to put more tents down or move your tents around the board. And if you get your tents into a triangle shape, you can then put a village down, which gives you more area control. So you and, and you bring those tents back to your board. So you're constantly pushing out the tents and you're constantly trying to get the area control. And why are you doing this? Because I'm going to be a gobshite and say it's area majority, by the way, but carry on. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It is area majority. Um, <laughs> Why are you doing this? Because in the eclipse phase, whoever's got the majority in on each of the tiles gets a little reward. So if you let someone completely run roughshod and completely have it all, then they're going to get absolutely loads of stuff. So you've got to kind of keep on top of things. It's one of the mini games you're playing to just get stuff. It will get you food. It will get you axes. It will get you movement on the next little board we're going to talk about. And there's lots of things in this game that just gets you stuff. If you save your cards for Eclipse, they'll get you stuff. If you get those culture cards, they'll get you stuff. And it is very much a game about doing the actions, but getting all the stuff on top of them and layering it and loading those actions down with bonus after bonus after trigger after trigger after trigger and building that momentum in your actions is what's going to drive you forward and make you successful. And it's a very sort of modern Euro sensibility of, yeah, here's a mechanism Here's all the bonuses on top. The other thing it gives you and other bits in the games give you is the ability to put down these these megaliths, monoliths, one of the two, uh, <laughs> stones on yeah. a separate grid board, which is a squares grid. And you put them down and you can build on top of each other in order to score a handful of points. But every time you put a stone down, you're getting, guess what? Stuff. More stuff. <laughs> get food. Get axes. Another abstract mini game that's been put within the framework of those 12 actions that it's there to trigger what everything else does 
And they all just have this feedback loop where if I go up there, it'll give me this to put me on there, to go over there, to move that over, to give me this, to give me more of them, which allow me to do this. And, and that's what you're trying to do. It's one of those games where you combo the five different areas of the game to power each other and almost become a self-perpetuated motion there. Well, some, some of us did. <laughs> you're right. Some of you lot did. <laughs> I said it to you at the time and and i very much stand by this and it is a pun on the theme as well this is a snowball game whereby things you do at the beginning the earlier in the game you achieve something even something very small that slight advantage it gives you starts to roll and because it gave you that one thing in the very first turn that's now worth two things at the bonus stage and which is worth three things when you get to eclipse which will be worth five things by the end of round two and actually you're 20 things ahead by you get to the time you get to end of round four because of a small advantage in round one because if i can get two more meat i can do one more of these actions which will put one more tent out which will get me two more things in the eclipse phase which will then for the next turn will slightly kick me off i'll be able to get one more culture card which will trigger and trigger and trigger and trigger and because all these mini abstract games trigger off each other hitting small bonuses counts a lot and it's very hard for me to see which stone you dislodge is going to cause an avalanche and which stone you dislodge is just going to drop down a couple of metres to stop, which is generally how my game of it went. I half agree with you. I think you are you are correct in that you do need to make a good start and you do need to know what you're doing from the from the start. A lost round can be really problematic as you get to the end of the game. Well, that's where we differ. You think a lost gain, a lost action is massive. I think a lost round is massive. And that's, I think, where we differ. I don't think the small, tiny things make that as much a difference as you do. Yeah, and I, I, I think at the beginning they do. See, I don't, I don't think they do. Like, if I, if I start for it, because it's exponential growth, and if I'm starting from a four and I grow exponentially and you start from a four and a half and grow exponentially, not far down the line, your your totals can be way, way higher than mine is. But but that's very much what I feel about it. And also because I'm really bad at that. It's not your thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, not, it's not generally thing. your thing. And I think no. it, I, I was expecting to win because I had played it before. But I think in general, Rachel picked it up a lot quicker than you because she likes that kind of thing and she's very good at that kind of thing. Right, I'm going to use that to get that and that's going to power that. And exactly what you said. And she's very good at that. So You both are. We, you two we, will have yeah. loads of fun playing this game because you both yeah. love it. You're both good at it. You both watch each other. You're both like, oh, he's going there to go there to get that. If I get that before him, then I can do that and take that. There. And it's all these calculations you can do better than me. I just can't. I just I kind of do a thing and then go, right, what, what triggers off that? But this is a good example of that genre of game. I think so. I think so. I think it looks nice. I think it plays well. I think all the actions make sense. I think you know what you're doing. You're not lost. I, I am still making a decision. I'm making a worse decision than you, but I don't feel lost in any way. And I go, yeah, I'm doing this, and I'm getting that, and I'm getting that, and I'm getting that. And I th I'm like, that's a nice little turn. I've got four things. The problem comes, of course, when you take a turn and you get nine things, and I go, oh, yeah, that was better. I objectively think it's a very good game. Subjectively, there's one or two too many mini games within it for me that don't add anything other than noise and 
busy work, as I've been talking to you about recently. Like the Mesolith board, that could just go. Yeah, I think we yeah we did talk about that, and that was the that was probably the one we really agreed on is that it's, it's so it takes so much table space to start with, and is it really necessary? Because the Mesolith or Megalith is really powerful. If you get to the outer reaches of that, it's there's some really really powerful moves. And if you're the only person that's concentrated, or you've been lucky enough to get to the edge of edge of the board, then that is quite a big jump in in your favour. So I think that could quite easily go. It's not Mesolith, definitely, because that means Middle Stone Age. So I'm definitely misusing that. One. Yeah, <laughs> it's Monolith or Megalith. It's one, of one of those two. But anyway, my my take on this. The other thing, I've got one other thing for you on, on that temp. Yeah, the whole tent board. To me, I wish that that only scored you points. And I wish that that was a, a true area majority game whereby we know what we're going for. And, and, and again, it's my simplicity. It's, it's that I know that it's worth that amount of points. That's why I'm doing it. To me, because it's given you those Eclipse rewards, which in the end will give you more stuff to more stuff to more stuff to score points eventually, there's it, it an obfuscation of purpose there that doesn't suit me. And I wish that... And, and I think it would be more fun to just be straight up, that's points. Do you want those points or not? If it was only points, would it not be easier for everyone to say, well, I'll have a few points, you have a few points? Because the rewards are different, they can chain into what you are specifically trying to do. So we have, we've talked about the megalith board being a bit superfluous. But or if mesolith, I was, or monolith. Whatever it is... <laughs> If I was, if that was my game, and I was really pushing that, there is, and there was tiles out there, which there often are tiles out that allow me to place more stones onto that board. Then that's for me is more interesting than everybody having one point because I control this tile, you control that tile, and Rachel controls that tile. Therefore, we all get one point. That doesn't seem that interesting. I think there's enough balance in that it costs you actions and resources to build the tents in the first place. Or make Maybe. that space more interesting, but but that's cool. That's that's I'm not I'm not pushing too hard. I know what you're saying, and definitely I could have played that much better. I have a theory or a strategy that I want to try next time I play it because I, I kind of think like maybe if I try and do that, it might work. And this to me feels like a game in which I'm not going to care if I win. I want to explore certain things within it. I want to try this sort of a strategy. Does that work? I want to try that sort of a strategy. Will that work? If I focus on only getting those in and using them only for eclipses and I use only food for labour, will that work? And that's what was going to bring me back to playing more because I say I've only played once. I intend to play it more and I might be talking about it a little bit in the next episode. So I should really leave the longer last word to Sean who is much more informed and much better at it position than I am. After three games of this, I I really enjoy the experience. Whether I win, lose, or draw, I'm really enjoying, uh, as Rhoda said, something that I enjoy in games is chaining things together. I agree with Rodan that there is a lot still left to explore. There's an absolute ton of expansions for this already came out as part of the Kickstarter, which I can't see myself touching for a long, long time because I think there's enough in here for me. So after three games... I would place this at an 84. Definitely a Sean game. <laughs> right. Da, ba, da, 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 da. Shall we I crack like that. on? 
We are nearly two hours into our, our, our chat, so shall we crack in and tell these people what are the 10 best games of 2013? The 10 best games of possibly the best gaming year that we have ever, ever. been through. <laughs> Go on, Randall. Let's have your number 10. My number 10, Sean, is the Korean game, which you're going to say, I've been telling myself I've got to get that back to the table for about four years. Because I've been telling myself I've got to get back yeah, to the table yeah, for about patch four history. years. <laughs> patch history, the weird sieve builder, patchy, patchy, tidy, tidy, oddity of greatness. Patch history, number 10. Patch history was in my number 10, but then I realised I haven't played it for about four years. <laughs> I need to get and back to the table. I can, I, you know what? It's, it's lack of plays that's pushed it out of my top 10. And I probably get told off now for the game I'm replacing it with. But I have still have a load of fun with this game. It's Coconuts from Korea Board Games. Another Korean <laughs> game. There you go. <laughs> it's just so much fun. And now I can enjoy it all over again with the kids. Tommy loves it. James loves it. Nat loves it. I love it. We always have an absolute blast. And what do we get into? As I always say, what do we get into games for? To have fun. And Coconuts gives me a lot of fun. Quite the choice. You've reminded me of something there, actually. My nephew, Nathan, loves coconuts, like loves it since he was right. Yeah. I yeah. When I backed Cora Quest, I got a couple of copies, obviously one mm. for us and one for him because he yeah. likes games, but he was a bit young. And we gave it to him this Christmas and Rachel and his dad and him sat down and played it on the 28th or something. Oh, mm-hmm. my days. That little boy's mind was blown. He's like, I need to play that again. I need to play that again. We've got a game, Arise. We've got a game. <laughs> well done, Dan. I don't know how you did it, but well done. Okay, yeah, number nine. The uh, Talking about snowball games, this is definitely one of them. It's Russian Railroads. It is action selection. It's actually worker placement, and it's fabulous. What else is there to say, Sean? It's very abstract. It's very building up a head of steam, and it's great. I never, ever got on with this, and it's been so long since I played I can't remember why, but I remember genuinely hating my, my couple of plays of this back in the day. So I've never, ever gone... I've never darkened its rail again. I know I'm on solid ground with my number nine. It's Francis Drake. We talked about it in our top 100. I did look around, and it's not in my top 100, and it's a, a great omission because it really should have been. So let's call it my my 100, 100A or 100B. Francis Drake, fantastic game. We talked about it ad mortem. Jolly good. I'll upset you on my number eight. You're going to moan about being tired in an airport when I forced it on you. It's the oh, two-player the abstract. <laughs> the Duke, flippy, flippy tiles, attack each other, thinky, thinky. Every game's different. Glorious. Number eight, the Duke. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> and I'm going to annoy you in my number eight, Caverna from Uwe Rosenberg. I just think it's, I prefer it to Agricola. And I think it's, it gives the Agricola feeling with a bit more theme. And that's brilliant to me. I've never played that. I couldn't possibly comment. Number seven, <laughs> Tough Co-Ops Ho. Nice production, allegedly family weight, but good luck winning it with your family unless you're on easy level. You're stuck in the desert and you have been forbidden and your airship has broken down and you've got to work hard and keep yourself stocked up with water and very much play your role within your team to win it. And Forbidden Desert, probably the best of the Forbidden Games for me. Definitely better than Forbidden Skies, that was bad. I have decided that Forbidden Island is vastly superior and I don't particularly like Forbidden Desert, even though I do quite like it. <laughs> 
So he's not in my top 10, but it was it was under consideration, but Forbidden Island is my favourite. My number seven is literally talked about in three of the last four episodes. Nations from Ross Stan and Nina Huckinson and Einar and Robert Rosen and lots of Petlet. Fantastic, sieve-building game, very tough, and poor you can get his clothes in the box. Again. Again. Number six <laughs> is the two or three player abstract, rondely, yet deeply thematic, combative, yet not combative, massively varied, hugely overlooked, should be one of the best rated games in the world, and it's called Theseus. Dark Orbit. Theseus the Dark Orbit. You do love that game. You do love it. It is good. It is good. Uh, I haven't played it enough to consider it. But my number six is... We're getting on to some top, top games now for me. It's Viticulture, Jamie Stegmaier, Alan Stone, Stonemaier Games. All about building your building wine. You're making wine. Uh, just a really solid, good Euro game that I really enjoy playing. Took me a while to get into it, but now I, I love it. It's fine. And I'll play it, <laughs> but uh, it's fine wine. Uh, I, I burnt out on it after half a dozen plays. I, it doesn't, doesn't excite me. Bless you. You're number five? I like a two-player little flippy-flippy game, Sean. Although this is much more about the card play. The tight, rigid, you must play as you're instructed to try to fight over control of areas. It's Hannah Makoji. It is quick. It is brutal. It will make you squint and squeal and give you a headache and hate your own choices until the other person has to make a choice and gives you something good. And then you'll laugh and prance until you have to make another choice, which will be desperately difficult again. And Hannah Makoji is my number five, and it is just great. And the Kickstarter with the new stuff is coming sometime soon. Yeah, we've talked. I've never been a big fan of Hannah Makoji. I don't like the fact that it makes me hate the people I'm playing against, unless it's with Ronan. So maybe it's a good game with Ronan. Uh, yeah, I just never got on with it. But uh, I can see why people like it. My number five, we're going into Euro Euroland again. It's Rococo, Matthias Kramer, Stefan Maltz, and Lewis Maltz, Eggert Spiel. Rococo set in kind of a lacrimosa style artwork and set you making. Doing Euro things and your, your, your deck building and your lots and lots of cool things and area control and all sorts. Yeah, yeah, another one that I liked well enough. It always just felt a tiny bit flat for me. And I don't really know why. I, I never really nganged it. But Ellie loves it. She does. My number four is Nations with Puria's clothes expansion. <laughs> My number four... Again, how many times we talked about Firefly, Aaron Dill, John Kovalevsky, and the dearly departed Sean Swaggart, Gale Force 9, story in a box, absolute comedy in a box, and just fun in the box, and that is Firefly. This would never, ever, ever be this high if my all-female crew had been eaten that time. That was quite funny. <laughs> Literally eaten. Literally eaten. I, I'm desperate for a game of this and have been for a long time. So, number three, I've decided to write an injustice in our top 100s. I have played it and I was a fool. And Sir Francis Drake, you never really achieved much in life, if we're honest, but you were told a good story and you're a fantastic game. And I love you and I'm sorry. And you're now my number three of 2013 because everything's fluid, Sean. Everything's fluid. You, you, are, you are a fantastic game, Francis. So my number three is 
possibly my favourite Stefan Fell game. It's a merry-go with its cube tower and lots and lots of point salady things going on from Queen Games. Just absolutely adore this. I hated the look of it at first, which kept me away from it, but more for me because I was missing out on a fantastic game. The odd dud turn is what stops it being a top 100 game for me. We've discussed that before. Other than that, yeah, it's a very good game. My number two is most certainly not in Sean's. It is one of my most played games ever. Two-player, very limited communication game called Ravens of Three Sahashri. One is building a grid out of cards, drafting cards and building a grid out, and the other one is taking cards from there and attempting to communicate in several ways just with the taking of a card and adding it to the rows that you have to form. You've got secret goals that the other person doesn't know about, but is trying to glean from what you're telling them by just taking a card out. It is just distilled awesomeness of no talking look in my eyes i'm trying to tell you seven things i picked up the green two the green two okay (laughs) the green two remember that that's a green two yeah you know what we talked about earlier that i'm slowly finding my feet in trick-taking games and this isn't exactly a trick-taking game but it's got that sort of feel where you've got to pass on information to each other and you know what i'm slowly coming around to the thought of this years ago when ronan first played it i ran screaming but now i kind of think it'll be quite fun so yeah maybe one day play it with there. rachel because she's really good at it and she's really patient whereas i'll throttle you <laughs> <laughs> right i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, throw a spoke in the works ronan your prediction was incorrect because my you fall! number two no is way. Eldritch Horror. It's not. It can't be. It is. Go it change is. it. Go back. <laughs> I, even had to check, I even had to check my top 100 to make sure. <laughs> Wasn't this your number one of all time? Last time it we was. did. It yeah, was. Yeah, a few, yeah, a few years ago. And um, let's... Spoiler alert. It's still very, very high. Uh, Eldritch Horror is a really, really fantastic game. I think what, what probably hinders it for me is the... Having to, if I was to play it with my family or with people around me, I'd have to learn it again, and it's it's a bum ache to learn and to get get down pat again. Ronan's brilliant at setting it up and talking us all through it, and when I'm playing, with I Ronan, get every it's, rule it's wrong. Easy. Every time we play an eSport, <laughs> anyone knows the rules. Like that's not. Yeah, easy. but they were Watch drunk. Up, no one cares. <laughs> Yeah, I know a version of Eldritch Horror, which is not the correct <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, Eldritch Horror is a fabulous game. Really, really top, top game. I'll tell you how top it is. It's the number one game of 2013. <laughs> not my number one game. The number one game of 2013. Yeah, we love Eldritch Horror. You know, I've had lots of fun with it. And yeah, part of it, of course, is personal because we've had so much fun with it. But like Sean said, it is number 10. We were in gaming for fun and we have an absolute ton of fun with it. It's It takes a lot of the mechanical nonsense out of lots of games like this and just lets you play and play the story and role play your character and laugh. And that's what it's all about. So number one, 2013, Eldritch Horror. I can't believe Sean's a splitter. What have you put? <laughs> I can't believe this one's not in your top 10. I thought you liked it. Obviously, I'm wrong. My number one for 2013 is Concordia from Matt Gertz, P.D. Verlag. I adore Concordia. I think it is 
quite possibly the finest Euro game out there. I love the deck building aspect of it. That's where you know, the decks, uh, the cards you get in they'll give you powers, but they also count towards your end of game scoring. It's a resource management and economy game. And we've talked about it many times. I absolutely adore those. And I just love every part of this game. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful creation. And Concordia is my number one. It's not even in my top 100. So you're a wrong one. You're an absolute wrong one. It is very good. I even enjoyed like the special two-player maps. I've got a Solitaria, so I'm going to be playing it again sometimes. I keep. I think I keep saying that for about a year. <laughs> I will be playing it again sometime soon. I'm looking at Solitaria for the two-player, for the solo stuff. And I'm trying now desperately to think why I haven't rated it as a nine. I'm quite shocked because I I genuinely thought you really liked it. I thought no, it might I've be played... number number one, but I thought it might be in your top five. No, I've played Venus, played the team version of it. I've played it in all its versions, and it's at, I mean to call it rock solid is a bit of an insult. It's better than that, but it's good at all levels. It works too. It works teams. It works with six or five or six, whatever it is. Um, yeah, why would it not be in the top top? I don't know. I'll have to revisit it when I play it again. There you go. All right. Well, there you go. There, there is, I'll tell you what, that is some some list of games. I thought We varied more than I thought we would. Yeah, but... I thought we would be absolutely lockstep with a few of those. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I knew you'd have the Duke and I forgot about Ravens, but um, other than that, I thought we'd be... But yes, though, there we have it. I thought we would be more in step, Ronan, but that was our top tens of 2013. And our alleged quick chat about Christmas gaming. Yeah, that didn't materialise, did it? It did, and we better get out of here quickly. See us out in the quickest fashion you can. Uh, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to contact us. We are thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. That's our email address. And we can also be found on the Board Game Geek Guild. We're on all the social media you can think of. And thank you for listening. And Ronan, thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, everyone. We'll catch you next time on The Game Pit. Yay. Music by Eat Aaron. <laughs>